we will wait for Garrett to alive himself. Now, can you, can you hear me now? There, you're alive now. I am alive. Jeff, how, how are you feeling today after uh, you were, you got pretty snarky in the game thread last night? You know, I had, I had a you migraine. Yeah, I had a migraine all day yesterday, and I was just, you know, I was in rare form, I guess. I just, it was not, I mean, I personally really enjoyed it. I think the team played better. The yeah. more, the shorter you got, the longer our drives became. Well, it's all, about, short- doing, all about doing your 111th, and I, I was just doing my part yesterday. Doing your part, but uh, how is your how is your migraine? You didn't you you uh, happily agreed to doing the fireside tonight and not suggesting that we push to tomorrow. So I took that as the migraine was much. <laughs> yes, today is fine. Yesterday was not. But today is great, and we're ready. Um, we are ready. Uh, so, so let's jump right into it, right? I mean, in the wise words of Ham. Make this a quick show so that we can get home for lunch. Let's make it a quick show so we can get home for lunch. That's right. So what my initial thoughts of the game is, other than like, I I think Bean Mace, world famous Bean Mace, put it correctly last night of, I'm glad that GEHB exists so we did not have to sit through that alone. Because that game, like, I don't. I do not. And Tom pointed at like that being like we're going to drop the FCS game and go still keep the game in Laramie in twenty twenty four or whatever. Like no, we need to never step foot there again. I don't care if we ever play Wyoming again. Just that game was so flat. I think my biggest takeaway of that game, and I was talking to some people today about it. I think the three biggest things, and obviously, like there was a lot of complaints about the defense especially in the first half, but it's like, it's not like the offense came out gunning either, but it's just, it's the biggest complaint I have of the defense is like, which we've talked about was one recruiting, which it seems like, you know, then there were some conversations in our VIP recruiting channel just right before we hopped on of like the number of offers are starting, but it's so frustrating. When you look at the guys that got all the playing time last night, most of them were like either our walk-ons with zero offers or BYU was their only offer. So it's like recruiting and just the overall talent it's, in the front. That's setting. a walk. That's a walk on. Like let's just that's call true. it. That's a wa- right? yeah. That's true. If nobody else wants it, it's you are still a walk on who, like you just were at the top of our walk on list, right? Yeah, and um, the fact that like yeah, for every you know Connor Pay that really was good that just dreamt of BYU and shut it down really quickly, uh, there's like ten that are true just walk ons, right? That got right. scholarships. So I think it's time to just like put. Put a spike in the eyes of the narrative that, well, BYU guys, they shut it down, and that's why they're not recruited. Because for the most part, that's not true. Not sure. Yeah, for the most and part. Even, even there welcome. are BYU guys that still get recruited. Like, you know, Jacob Conover had offers. Well, There's lots of BYU. Jackson Bowers is a BYU guy. He has offers. You know, Isaac yeah. Mix had offers. Like, the, the guys who are dudes. Like, maybe the 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 BYU dudes are recruited the guys who are maybe the byu guys they're, they're not recruited so much you know do you remember, if, if getting what I'm getting. Do you remember doug kimmel doug kimmel i didn't mean, i've not heard it in a very long time yeah he was blair angulo before blair yeah. and and so doug 
Uh, he was a Utah guy, and when Doug was at Utah, in fact, he he was on the recruiting staff. I can't remember if he was like a student assistant or if he was actually like an employee. I can't remember. But when when Doug was recruiting for Utah, he he would talk about this that once a guy committed to BYU, he talked about Matt Bushman. That once Matt Bushman committed to BYU, Bushman was such a BYU guy, Utah took him off the board completely. Uh, and this was you know all the way back 2011, 2012. I mean, it's been forever ago, right? And that was the kind of like mindset that most other schools had is once BYU guys committed to BYU, they just you stopped. You you stopped recruiting them. The whole P five thing, like that was maybe the biggest thing in independence that has hurt BYU is there was a gap now where other schools did not respect anymore that BYU commitment or that somebody was a BYU guy. And so over the course of the last decade that's been dead, and BYU guys get recruited all the time now. So the narrative right. may have been true 15 years ago. In fact, it probably was. But today, no, no. If you only have one offer, more than likely it's because BYU either found something great and they think you're you know, going to be special, a la Brady Christensen, or nobody else saw it, right? And, and you're right. welcome. So – that's important. So that's, that, that's not Wyoming, but that's important to talk about as we talk about the defensive line and all that stuff. And so that's my number one. My number two is the, it seems to be that there's a, like a lack of leadership on the defense, especially from the player side. Like who is like, I don't think, and maybe it's, you know, maybe I could see Ben Bywater having the personality to become this guy. It kind of seemed like Max Tooley was maybe becoming this guy, but he didn't play yesterday. It was like they just came out so flat. And so there's like some of it is coaching, right? Because like as part of coaching, if you look at, you know, if you look at the total job of a college coach, like you are managing boosters, you are recruiting, you are dealing with the game plans, you are dealing, but then you also have to be developing a 20 year old kid to become a leader, like somebody like there's nobody on the defense who I feel like is the field general. Who's like, like when after that first drive and, you know, they didn't show anyone on TV, but it's like, I didn't see it. You know, I haven't seen it just the last couple of years where it's like, who is that guy that like is going to be getting the entire defense riled up? Who's going to be yelling at people on the sideline? Who is like the guy in the locker room? that players expect because that's if you really want to get over the hump like you can have a raw raw coach who gives you a pregame speech and gets you fired up but it doesn't mean nearly as much as when there's a player that like asserts themselves as like really truly is the captain right like they call it a captain but i feel like we have a lot of quiet captains who lead by example and we need like a, a vocal one and so Part of that coaching is like identifying that, developing that, figure out who that's going to be. And I feel like that is the biggest thing that was lacking because we saw in the second half, like this defense, like they were fine. They stopped them. Like overall, it, it was an ugly game because of those few long drives that they had, especially like the way the game started by having those back-to-back long drives at the beginning of the game. Like it left a sour taste in your mouth of like, oh, this just sucks. And it, it, we didn't shake that. Even though the final numbers, you look at the box score, the defense played fine. Like, Whistle to whistle, if you jumbled it all up and put those like that touch, that first touchdown through that into the fourth quarter, you're like, oh, they got a cheap score late, whatever, but the game was already over. 
nobody thinks twice about it at all and it's fine but it's like they just felt so flat and then you it was palpable when they came out of the locker room and like got that first tfl right out of the half it was like okay they got their asses chewed at halftime by somebody and now they're fired up but it's like that's got to happen in the first half and you cannot come out flat because like the liberty and ecu their offenses like those teams i think are comparable to wyoming on both sides, but those offenses, like they will not start to roll over and they will make you pay um, in our design to stretch the field and can really hit you. And if you come out flat can really hurt you. And then you get up in a real trap game. And that's, so I think those like, that is the number two for me in terms of like the deficiency of the defense. It's like recruiting one big drop, like the lack of a vocal leader on the defense. And then another big drop to this game. Cause it's like, the scheme is fine. They didn't really change much of what they did in the second half. It just does. It was just like the effort, like it didn't. The effort like quadrupled from the first half to the second half in the intensity, and that's like that's not an X's and O's thing. Uh, but what were what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I I don't know, man. I I mean, I've never been a college football player. I don't know what that dynamic is like in the locker room to say whether a rah rah player or a rah rah coach matters more. I I have no idea. Um, what I, what I do know is I thought there were a couple of coaches. I talked about this in the game thread and I've thought about it in the last 24 hours or however long, uh, there were a couple of coaches and I remember Tuiaki being one of them, uh, but a couple of coaches throughout the off season that talked about the letdown against UAB in the bowl game. And they actually conceded publicly, which was a little bit weird that they felt, I, I, I specifically remember Tuiaki talking about this, but I know I heard it from others. Maybe the team felt that they deserved a bigger game and a bigger opponent and they didn't want to be there, uh, and that the coaches felt that too. And I think we saw that on the field last night, and I think we have enough of a track record that we can go through. I mean, obviously there's exceptions. There always are. But I think we can go through the last five years and kind of pinpoint the games where BYU fell flat just by looking at the names on the schedule and final scores, right? And if we go back and we were to read our thoughts of each of those games, I think we would all kind of say the same thing of like, wow, this team doesn't want to be here. And so I have no idea, right? Like, does a rah-rah guy help? Like, sure, it doesn't hurt. And I would love that there, if there was a more vocal captain on the defense that, you know, got fired up or whatever. But I have no idea if that actually moves the needle or not. I'm inclined to say that it doesn't, but I don't know. I haven't been a 20-year-old college football player before. Uh, But what I do know is that on Monday through Friday, there are coaches that set the tone of how a game is going to be in practice, how they practice, how they execute, what they're demanding in practice, how they're talking about their opponent. Kids are smart. College football players are smart, right? They're perceptive. And if... if you that's perceptive when i was in high school like it wasn't you know it wasn't it's not even unique to college in that front right and so if if you treat wyoming different than you treat baylor kids are going to sense that they're going to feel that and they're going to play like that and and now we've got enough of a track record that i i think we can start to he could start to look at coaching, right? Because the offense is, the offensive staff has changed over the years, and they didn't have as the, you know they don't have as many letdown games like that. 
the BYU, uh, the, excuse me, the defensive staff for BYU has been largely the same, uh, with the exception of a you know Kevin Clune. In addition to Kevin Clune and shuffling Preston Hadley and Ed Lamb around, it's been largely the same guys in the room for the last five or six years. And what you see, it it, it feels like that's like the routine now for BYU, right? When there is a game like Wyoming, they play like they're playing Wyoming, and. If it's a one-off year, I can say, yeah, this team needs leadership from the, the player side. But given that we're we're talking about this every season now for five years, I, I'm ready. Like, I don't know if there's a leader or not. There might be. There might be a team of 11 player leaders for all we know. I'm ready to say that Monday through Friday must have some sort of tangible difference when BYU practices and prepares to play Wyoming compared to when they play Baylor. And even, you know, a game like Oregon, like, yeah, BYU fell flat. They got beat. They got beat by a more talented team, period. I mean, whatever. It is what it is. But with Wyoming, BYU had more talent. Even with the guys that shouldn't, you know, that are are walk-ons, they're still more talented than most of Wyoming's roster. And this is, to to me, it's a coaching thing now. And it's not a coaching thing about the game or the game plan itself. It's that there is something that's happening. And I don't know what it is. I'm not there. But there's something. There has to be. There, that's the only explanation that makes sense over five years of watching the same story play out again and again and again. Something is different Monday through Friday when BYU is playing a lesser opponent and players play like that. That's the only explanation. Yeah, I, I, I think we were kind of saying the same thing, but the way you worded it much better at like a higher level where – and I, I think like the player leader seeing that is more – is it kind of you said it? That's more of like that's a that is a the, the lagging indicator, right? Like like it's if you have the coaches are there and they're setting the tone week after week of what the expectation is, then the buy-in is that somebody will rise up out of that and start like maintaining that tone amongst themselves. But it's I th- I think it's they kind of go hand in hand. It's two symptoms of the same issue. Yeah, and I think. That's for me. It I mean, is that's frustrating. It. That, that's it and, for and me. I do, Sorry. Yeah, so it's not a Kalani thing, right? Like, and, and that's, I mean, it's a Kalani thing in the sense that all, you know, the shit all has to roll somewhere. And so if it rolls up to Kalani, then fine. But that argument's always been so hollow to me because, well, then it's also a Tom Homo thing. And like, damn, Kevin Worthen, why aren't you getting guys fired up? Like, shit can only roll so far. Right. Uh, but but Kalani, when you say like a coach's job, right? A coach's job is the boosters and the recruits and the, the school, the administrator, all that garbage. Like that's mostly a head coach's job. An assistant coaches, a coordinator, their job is game plan and get your team ready to go. And you guys all know that for the most part, I uh, I try to play devil's advocate for really anything that comes up with with Elias Tuiaki because I think the criticism of Tuiaki is largely just lazy and i think it's largely it's harder to understand defense and i don't understand defense but it's harder to understand defense than it is offense and so when things don't go well we blame the defensive coordinator it happens at every school every year and so most of the time i play devil's advocate and say hey well what about what about what about or nope not that not that right but when it comes to this like it's his it's his job it's not a scheme thing it's not a you know you you learn with experience thing like you gotta get your guys fired up and if you aren't able to get your guys fired up 
I don't care if you're running the same scheme and have the same talent that the 85 Bears have. Like, if you can't get guys fired up and ready to play week in and week out, you're going to have clunkers like BYU has, and it's incredibly frustrating. So that's my big take. And and my criticism about Tuiaki has always been recruiting because it's terrible, like terrible with multiple R's, like seven or eight R's in there. Terrible. Is there a U in there, like a Charles? Yeah, uh, it's, Charles it's, it's terrible. It, it's Shaq when he's describing Craig Sager's suit that it's it's awful and horrible. It's it's whore awful, and and that's exactly what what recruiting has been. It's getting better, and that can be fixed, and that's great. Um, but it's been bad. But then the ability to get a team fired up, and then when you hear the concession that Tuiaki made uh, through over the off season when he said, "Yeah." You know that was on me that I I you know I didn't want to play UAB I I didn't have my guys fired up because I wasn't fired up like okay well now you just said the quiet part out loud where you're playing to your opponent too and that just you can't do that as a coach right you think Nick Saban right. treats Auburn any differently than he treats Alabama A and M like no he wants to go kick the shit out of anybody who's on the schedule and and that's what Tuiaki. I I don't see that you know I'm sure he wants to go and win every game but I don't see that ability to be like. Uh, we are BYU, right? I don't care who we're playing. We're BYU. We're the team that's feared. We're not going to have to build build ourselves up and get psyched up for big games because everybody's afraid to play us, and so we're going to treat every team the same. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. So that's my take. And it is human nature, right? Like, it is human nature and playing down to your opponent. Like, that's not... It's human that's nature not something that's, players, though. It's not, it's not, and it's not even something that's unique to to BYU, right? Like... Georgia played with their food with Kent State for three quarters yesterday. They still end up winning by three scores, which BYU would have had, you know, it's yeah. take away a couple of fake penalties, right? And, it, it, you know, the, the score can come out, but it's like, or like Alabama, you know, messed around with Florida. And obviously the talent difference in like uh, being Alabama playing Florida really close, like games like that happen, but it's more of, it's a the frequency diff- thing. Like it's, we can almost routinely count on, the defense playing exactly to the level of its opponent for the first half of every single game. And then whether they figure out or not, it's like the difference is that when Alabama does it, Nick Saban is going to lose his mind in practice that next week. Kirby smart was pissed and is pissed. And George is going to feel how pissed off Kirby smart is all week because the players came out flat. The players played down, but the coaches coached the same. And, I mean, Tuiaki said it out loud, right? Like, he coached right. differently for UAB. And and if he did it for UAB, and we see this happen all the time, why on earth am I supposed to believe he didn't do it for Wyoming and the team played the way that they did? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I was saying it's like for players to come out flat yeah, yeah, is no, going to happen. That, that but is- it's with the, the frequency that it is happening, that points to, like you said, right. it is not just a singular, like, player issue there's a something systemic i mean the offenses have struggles too they they look like crap all last week and they look like crap for most of the first half yesterday so it's like it's it does kind of there's that like permeating thing right that it's of playing down to the opponent which is i mean there's very few programs that don't do it but that's why those programs are alabama and georgia and ohio state and are regularly playing in the national championship or you know making the playoffs because they've like their staffs are insane like you truly to be an elite coach 
an elite staff at this level, you have to have a psychotic head coach and 10 maniacs. Like the amount of like dedication. And like, do you remember when, I don't know if you have like the story about like how Bronco Mendenhall like lived in his office and slept on a cot in his office and then he never left anywhere. And so like at the end of the semester in New Mexico or wherever school he was at, like he had to call the campus police to help him find his car because he couldn't remember where he parked it on campus. Like that's the level of insanity that these other programs have, you know, and it's, I don't know, like that's just maybe not really conducive, like being LDS and having family values and like the football is fifth, like that's not necessarily conducive to performing at that level and having that like, and I think someone brought this up in the, um, I don't remember someone brought this up in on the discord too, talking about it. It's like, you know, for the, a lot of these guys that have the NFL talent, like, you know, you think like, Oh, this guy could play in the league. Like if they get hurt, do they rehab with the same intensity? Someone who's at Bama is it's not just because of the coaching or whatever, but it's like, they are singularly focused on, I'm going to be a first round draft pick. And that is my goal. There's maybe a lot of guys who are like, Oh yeah, I'm going to do my thing. Like, but I've got a wife and kid and I'm focusing on actually caring about my education as well. And I'm not just here to play football. And like, if I get my shot, great, but like, it's not like, it is not 100% my entire identity is wrapped up in being like the best possible football player I can be. And so, and I think that's just one of those weird things that may or may not be different about some of the people that walk through the door who play. I don't buy it. I I just don't. Right. Because Broncos teams haven't had that problem, and and, and those te- and those guys who, you know, football's fifth or whatever, they have no problem getting up to play Baylor. They're gonna have no problem being fired up for Notre Dame. It's it's I don't buy it. I I, I hear you. Well, I don't. I it's, it. The degeneracy comes when it's like you. Yeah, anyone can get pumped up to play Notre Dame, but can you get pumped up to play Idaho State when it's? 15 degrees outside in November. Yeah, to me that to me that's coaches, right? Like that's their job. Yeah. Get get your guys fired up, right? Like that's what they have to do. Um but I think let's open it up, right? Like let's if you have a comment, I mean go ahead. I don't know how we do this. So like raise your hand, we'll get you yep, turn it on. The request to speak is open. So let's uh let's if you have something to say, say it, but don't suck. You know, don't say something that is dumb. We have okay, one. we got Travis Turner first up in line. Travis, you're on mute, but you're ready, man. Okay, I got you. So there we go. Can we speak to uh, what seems to be our inability to force turnovers? We haven't had anything since Tuli's pick six, right? I think so. Uh, there mean, was the accidental interception against Oregon. It was more of a right guy, right spot, but not really like forced the interception. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a problem, right? Like, and I think it, I don't know. I think it turnovers are luck, right? Like if you listen to cover three podcasts, they talk about it a lot that the turnovers are largely luck. And so when you're looking at, like, data analytics, and Gary, you can probably speak to this better than I can, but yeah. when, when you're looking at, like, the data analytics of it, uh, you hardly even count turnovers as, like, a thing that you force. Because even no matter how aggressive you play, uh, the quarterback has... The quarterback to, does make a crappy throw. Yeah, right. 
And so I, I, I th- I'm not too concerned about the lack of turnovers. What, I, what I'm concerned about, though, is the lack of aggressive coverage. Like, it, it feels like BYU is... I don't I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because teams are just running the ball so much. We don't even really get that many pass opportunities. But it it feels like the coverage is all about like guys aren't even trying to find the ball. It's all about make the tackle. And if you can break up the pass, great, but just like make the tackle, make the tackle. So it feels like it's just a mindset of like, hey, we're just trying to keep things in front of us and that has sort of gotten away from everybody but Max Tooley. He's the only guy who's like out there trying to make things happen. Yeah, like I can't even remember very like very few plays where I mean I have to look to see how many actual PBUs we have, but it's like a guy jumping a ball to try to get in front of something or kind of you know where you, that would be like trying to force an interception. Right? Is like you are taking a risk and selling out to go for the catch and abandoning like you're foregoing coverage, you're foregoing the tackle and attempt to try to catch the ball. Like I we haven't seen much of that at all really um we haven't had it even like had a ton of pbus and that's some of that is like you know i think against baylor that's what i would expect right because we were stacking the box and so if you don't have if you're playing with fewer bodies on the back end then you are taking more risk in coverage so you're going to say no like you need to be dead focused on coverage like don't even worry about like taking a risk to try to get a breakup like just keep it in front of you because you're selling out to put pressure on the quarterback but you I mean last night? You know we still didn't didn't see it like it, we didn't, and so it, I, it's one of those weird things where it's yeah you can't really predict them, but also at some point something's gotta something's gotta go. But it's like, right? even, like in, we, even in the tackling, right? Like guys aren't like hitting to like break bones, you know? Like it feels like everything is just soft, and and I don't know why. Like against Baylor, BYU like. Tried to hit and punish dudes, but like against Wyoming, BYU was just trying to like hold on and hope for the best, and it was ugly, I and I hated it. Yes, it, it, that's yeah. It just seems that there since the Baylor game, like there has just been this lack of aggression, and obviously you want to play safe and not like literally try to hurt someone. But it's like I want to see someone like try to take someone's head off. Like you know, where is we like? just like absolutely sticking someone like well, I can't even think was, there was like not a single play last night that I couldn't remember off the top of my head that I would like describe as a big hit. Like it was everything was just like a tackle. It was I like a practice. I want to see the kind of aggression that like somebody go after the ball carrier the same way I go after like the last of the Chili Verde. Like go hard and don't let anybody else get to it. And, and we're just not seeing that. Like an overall lack of aggression, and they just need some. They need some Jeff Chili Verde mindset, you know. Like nobody's gonna get that last little bit, and I don't give a damn if it's you know impolite. I'm gonna take it because it's mine. If he doesn't have that mindset, they they're playing soft, and it's not fun to watch. Yeah, and and I think that mindset. I mean, that kind of goes back to the first thing. Um, that goes back to the initial, um, that that goes back to the initial thing of how, like, what is happening in practice? What is happening in prep in the week? And is that aggression there? Because if you're not like, obviously you don't want to injure somebody in practice, but you have to, like, if you're taking it 
relative, you know, if you're taking it soft all week, then it's really hard to get absolutely amped to go ham on Saturday if you've been soft all week. And so it's kind of all wrapped up back in that psychology of that. So that was a very good question. Way to not suck, Travis. Thank you. Um, we still, I mean, we can take a few more. Uh, there's nobody else in the queue. So I think Travis is the only one with thoughts and questions. Um, but if you, oh, we do have one more. So if you are listening to this on your podcast feed, every Sunday night after games, unless it's like a huge blowout, like we didn't do one after USF because no one really want to talk about it. Um, but it, we just want to pretend that didn't happen or not didn't happen, but it's like we won, we dropped a 50 spot and killed them. That's fine. Um, so we are on our discord every Sunday night. We try to do a fireside review and then it is open to the stage. So we have McSweezy here who is now um, going to join us. I'm sorry, McSweezy. I don't know your name in real life. Maybe you want to stay on this. That's fine. Love to you. You got to identify um, yourself, McSweezy. My name's Matt Swanson. Ah, uh, perfect. Yeah. So is it uh, MC Sweezy and your middle name starts with the season not actually a Mick? No, it's just made up nonsense. Just a it. high school nickname. Not even a high school nickname, just a friend. So whatever. Yeah, we're here for it. Uh, thoughts on did, did Ryan Rico break BYU out of the special team slump with the boomer punt that he hit? Or uh, will special teams continue to slump? Seems like we finally got a little bit of return game going, but other than that, uh, special teams was kind of a dark spot. I love the way you put that because didn't that sixty whatever yard punt sort of feel like it like opened up the cosmos to like, hey, special teams doesn't have to suck BYU, and you're allowed to have good special teams again. Like that, that felt like that punt represented more than a punt. It represented the end of whatever like curse had been on the program and had been on the entire unit. Maybe it was benching Jake Oldroyd. Maybe our guy Jake Oldroyd was like the, the, the curse. I don't know what it was, but it does feel like the special teams. I don't know if there was more effort in like practice or whatever, if there were more reps, more focus on it, it did feel tangibly different. And, and it wasn't until you mentioned it that I really thought about it, but it, it felt good. My, my only real special teams thought is we've got a, we got to chill out on this idea, like we being the collective BYU world, we've got to chill out on this idea that like Hobbs Nyberg is a terrible return man because he's not returning for touchdowns. Uh, I I mean, we'd all love to have Britton Covey out there, but Britton Covey was a freak, right? Now he's going to make it to the NFL as like a freaky return dude. Uh, For every Britton Covey, there's a million teams that's like, hey, just don't muff the punt and we're going to be fine. And and BYU's offense is is structured in a way that they they feel pretty confident they can move the ball against anybody. Uh, the whole objective of the punt return for BYU, because they don't have a Britton Covey, is just don't turn it over, don't do something dumb, let let Jaron do Jaron things. It feels like. But we have a Parker Kingston, Jeff. Yeah, I get that. You're missing I, the point. We no, have a Parker. Kingston. We do have a Parker Kingston. I think Parker's great, but I I don't think that. Uh, I listen. I watched Britain at like Tempu, and you knew right away, like, well, that guy's insane. He's gonna do, if nothing else, he's gonna be this insane return man for his entire college career. And lo and behold, like, that's exactly what he was. what he was, right? If you look at his receiving stats, like he was good, like he was fine, but it wasn't like he was some all world receiver. But he was an unbelievable return dude. And so, yeah, like when you watched him at Tempu, he he became exactly what you expected him to be as a return man. Parker Kingston isn't that, 
And so, like, I'm not super, like, I would love to see Parker get a shot at it, but I'm not overly concerned. Like, it, it feels like I'm a Braves guy. Everybody knows I'm a Braves fan. Ronald Acuna can steal bases just about whenever he wants, but in extra innings when he gets a single and he's standing on first base, I don't want him to get thrown out running to second, right? Like, maybe he'll probably make it. He makes it most of the time. I, I don't want him to get thrown out running to second base. And so just stay on first and let the hitters do their thing. That's the, like, mindset that I think our, our coaches have from the return game of just don't make a mistake. Uh, and our offense is good enough. We're going to be fine. Our offense is good enough whether they take over from the 15 or the 40-yard line. Aaron Roderick and Kalani Satake are pretty confident Jaron Hall can lead them down and score points. So the yeah. idea that we have to have this dynamic return game in order to score points, I think, is a misconception we all need to kind of, like, put to bed. I did feel like the Rico punts, like, that did kind of shake him because he hadn't – I mean, he had been punting fine since – the Baylor game, like, I mean, since he got hit in the Baylor game, he boomed that one he got hit on. Then he, the next one after that next series was a little shorter. And he had been fine, like, in the mid-40s, like, very, like, right. He'd been a very run-of-the-mill college punter, which is not what we were used to from him. Like, we were used to one booming kick a game that he just absolutely kicked the piss out of the ball. And I felt like we got that. And so I hope that kind of shook it. But I think with the special teams, it was really weird to me that Justin Smith took that field goal at the end of the game, especially with Jake Oldroyd um, having kicked all of the PATs. And maybe that was a function. I didn't see. So obviously the, um, what's his name? Austin Riggs broke his hand. And so Britton Hogan came in as the backup long snapper. So I didn't notice if on that field goal, if they changed who the holder was, so they may have said for the PAT, it's like, oh, it's a PAT. Anyone can do a PAT, whatever. But it may have been given in a short situation that, like, I didn't see who the holder was on that. And if it was still Rico or if they put in another holder and it may have been like, we need to kick a field goal. This is who the snapper is. So we want to get the holder and the kicker who are used to each other in there. since our Because we changed two out of the three for that field goal from what we would initially expect going into it. But if it was just the decision was just like, we don't trust Jake with the field goal and we're going to open up the competition. And that, um, that seemed kind of weird to me. It was um, like, are, are you going to let him get back into it and be the guy or are you going to bench him? It just, it felt like a weird limbo. Just like make up your mind. What are you doing with this kid? Mostly. I hate that we know the names of the backup long snapper and we're talking about the holder. Like we're in, we're into real sicko territory here. It is real sicko territory. And uh, the only well, I mean, I saw the picture of Hogan, and it was, I know Britain's older sister was in my ward my last year in school, and so I know their family decent, decently well. Um, so thanks, uh, Brother Sweezy, Mick Sweezy, for, for joining us. And I, and I do hope that the, at least from the punting game, that we are back to seeing at least one solid 60, like one solid field flipper a game from Rico. And, and then the other punt that he downed inside the 20, like, he, it was a wonderful game from him that we like where he we saw both the power and the touch and we haven't haven't really felt that from him so far this season. Um, so that was that was great. Thanks for hopping on. Uh, next, we do have Derek Gibson um, joining us here. So Derek, um, the oh there you go. You you are unmuted but once you unmute yourself you should be ready to go derek has been very active in the discord since he joined us i don't know uh did, i don't know if robbie just finally told you to join 
Jeff, maybe I don't know if you know this. Uh, Derek and Robbie grew up in the same ward and were roommates. Oh. Robbie McCombs from Vanquish the Foe, um, friend of the show, part-time co-host with us. And Derek grew up together in Las Vegas. So, Derek, you are on the air. Oh, thanks, Yes. Yeah, so since we're talking about the kickers, you know, kickers are people, punters are people. And, you know, all the memories, especially with Jake Oldroyd, you know, the Baylor game in particular, I thought this was going to be another one of those, you know, just legendary moments for Jake where he was going to make those those kicks. And then going into this Wyoming game, it was just like, okay, maybe he's going to get another chance. And then we saw Smith come in and, and make the, the field goal there at the end of the game. And so I, I guess the fan to me, you know, being one of those guys that was there in Arizona when Jake made the field goal uh, against Arizona and won it in Kalani's first game. And, uh, you know, just seeing all the other performances he's put on over the years, you know, the, you know, the field goal to force overtime against Tennessee and just all these awesome moments that we've all gotten to enjoy with Jake. It makes me sad that, you know, whatever is going on with him, uh, that we may not see that from him anymore. And, and that's pretty sad to, to think about because, yeah, I love Jake Oldroyd. And he's been just an amazing kicker for us over the years. And I, I don't know what it is. Yeah. Just uh, wondering what your guys' thoughts are about uh, – about Jake and and you know with the kicking game going forward, where where do you think BYU goes from there? Um, I think I my thoughts are those are people, but field goals are failures. So as long as we're kicking them, I don't care who's out there. Or as long as we're making them, I don't. I I would prefer nobody's attempting field goals because that means the offense didn't score a touchdown. But I don't. It just seemed weird that the only I don't really care one way or the other about like keeping him or pulling him but it was just it was weird to me that he got all five of the PATs but then as soon as there's a field goal they put in Smith that was weird to me yeah my my biggest thing with 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 Jake and the kickers going forward I get I mean for Jake yeah everything you said Derek I I get it I I wish he could be you know I wish he was the greatest and I wish that grandpa's lived forever and I wish that Jake Oldroyd would be there forever too um but ultimately you know whatever like somebody's got to make it so I'm not you know that concerned about it <laughs> but I, I, going forward what to expect uh the kicking game is run by ed lamb and uh, trying to predict what he's gonna do is a lot like trying to predict um you know like how how a tornado like what kind of damage it's gonna do you never know where it's gonna come down you never know what ed lamb is gonna do like he just does what he does and so I, I would think that pulling Jake out was like a signal that, hey, uh, Justin Smith is our new guy. But I don't know with Ed. Like, it could have also just been, like, truly distribution of reps, and he wanted to keep Justin Smith fresh, and it was some weird, you know, back-ass-words motivational tool for Jake. Like, I have no clue with, with Ed. Like, it's just impossible to predict. So that's my official take. And kickers are people, but only barely. Yes, just a step above non-people. So we've been running. We said this is going to be a short fireside. Jeff, do you have any parting thoughts with the world? Uh, Just our normal schedule, we will have our newsletters out this week as we we will record a little earlier. We'll have to record on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday because the game is – at an ungodly hour, it's 6 p.m. Mountain on Thursday. That just feels weird. 
Um, that is a crap. And I, I don't, I don't like that. The, I mean, the I like it better than is, Friday night. But. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't mind it on a Friday. The good news is if you're sitting in the east sidelines, you don't have to show up until 7 because you'll miss the whole first quarter because of the sun in your eyes anyways. That's true. Just miss the sun. You probably show up. It'll probably be like 21 to 0 at that point. Utah State is bad, and we'll get into this in our preview, but the when you talk about like a turnaround of like a team that went from, you know, zero like what are you talking like a team that improved their win total from like by like six wins the year before and it's like crazy something like that utah state is like the exact opposite like they're to go from beating a pack i mean it was oregon state but they beating a pack 12 school in their bowl game and winning the mountain west and finishing 11 and 2 or 10 and 3 whatever it was to like maybe they win one game that game against UConn is like the only game they're going to win all season because they are so bad and they got the crap knocked out of them by Weber and just like their quarterback is his touchdown to interception ratio in the last two games or three games is one touchdown to eight interceptions. Like it's embarrassingly bad how like the wheels have completely fallen off in year two of Blake Anderson era. Um, so we do have a uh, Danny Holman sitting in the queue. He'll be our last speaker, wrap us up and then we will say good night. Danny, you are with us. Am I off mute? Yeah. Yes. Sweet. Yeah, I just wanted to say, man, being being able to sit there last night and watch uh, Jaron Hall play the type of game that he did is just special. And the fact that we get to watch him uh, following Zach Wilson, like two of the great quarterbacks that BYU's ever had playing for us just in the last uh, three years is just special. So he's probably gone, as we know, after this season. and just as freaking fun to be able to watch and soak up every game that uh, he plays. Cause he's just, he's a special talent, but he's also just a special leader. The way he, you can just watch how guys rally around him and, mo- and are motivated by him. And he's not quite the maniac that you need to go crush some heads and whatever, but uh, the way he can turn around an offense and get things going, he's just, uh, just special. So not really a question, more just a comment that, uh, we got we got eight games left uh, in the regular season, and I look forward to just soaking up every single one of them. Yeah, yeah it's, I think Jaron is very underappreciated. Like, I mean, it's last night I was watching uh, watching the game at a friend's house, uh, a, a Hellion, and we were at his at their house celebrating my wife's birthday, watching the game, and afterwards, like, it's like it's such a ho hum game where it's like you look at his number stat sheet from last night and you're just like holy crap like he dominated that game but it just felt like a that felt like a run of the mill like we just expect that every week from him but he just dropped 340 yards and three touchdowns and whatever it was like and he played outstanding and he's his numbers if you compare through the first four games of the season are basically identical with Zach Wilson's numbers from the 20 through the first four games of 2020 season, but he's playing way better competition. So it's, he's having a truly like a very, very special, special year that we just need to sit back and enjoy that. Run. Yep. I, I mean, couldn't have said it better myself. You guys nailed it on the head. He's, he's fun to watch. I wish he'd throw to the middle of the field a little bit more. That's his next step. I think if he can develop that ability to read the defense in the middle and so that, BYU can run, but BYU likes to run. Uh, yeah, the sky's the limit. 
Yeah, so it was um, – thank you, everybody, for joining us. And we will be back here next uh, next Sunday night. I don't know. Maybe we'll do it Friday at lunch. Maybe, maybe we'll do it Friday nooner. We'll, do, we'll call it a nooner instead of a fireside next week. And uh, the, hit the Friday lunch or sometime we'll have our, our post-Utah State fireside. And thanks, everybody, for joining us. And everybody give them help.